0: Welcome to This Story Matters. Each episode, we visit with people just like you who've walked through events that have grown their faith, transformed their families, drawn them closer to Christ, and refreshed their outlook on life. We believe sharing a testimony can build up others, and that is why This Story Matters. This episode is presented by Beatles Property Maintenance for all home maintenance needs, including mold remediation and radon mitigation. More information found at beetlespm.com.
1: Welcome to a new episode of This Story Matters. Today, I have a guest in the studio with me, John Wilson. And John has one of those incredible stories of an amazing God-ordained life change that he wasn't really looking for. So we're going to be talking about that, John. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Oh, well, I appreciate you having me. It's exciting.
1: Before we get started with your story, I want to just take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Mm -hmm. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and we are so thankful for your amazing grace, for your salvation, Lord, that you chase us down no matter where we might be so you can just lavish us with your love. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would be in our words today, that you would come into this space, and that this would be all about glorifying God, giving him honor, giving him praise. That is who you've created us to be and what you've created us to do, and that is our heart's desire today. We thank you for an opportunity to speak of your goodness and your love as often and as loudly as we want. Knowing you like I know you, I consider these things done in Jesus' name. John, where would we have found you about like 10 or 12 years ago? What would you have been doing?
0: Uh, Probably at a bar, drinking, or me having a party at my house.
1: You were a party dude.
0: I was. You know, actually, um, growing up in high school, I, uh, I moved out early at the age of 17. Uh, I got emancipated, and I proved, and I was a junior in high school. So I was the only one in high school from my junior year to senior year that had my own place. And it was the first time I was able to be free from any adult supervision. So I uh, yeah, I would either be having parties at my house or or the party would be at the at the local bar
1: what did What did that lifestyle look like? What did you aspire to at seventeen? When you're you're loading your house up with parties, mm-hmm. um, you're hanging out in the bars. What were your life goals?
0: You know, I don't know that I really did have a life goal, um, but what I was always trying to find because it was always I was always trying to find something, and I couldn't figure out what that was. And I thought by surrounding myself with people or around having parties, making me putting myself in that atmosphere of you know, hey, like I'm the party guy. Come to my house. I'm cool. You know, just looking for things in the wrong places, so yeah. to speak. Uh, you know, I yeah. So I don't know that I had any kind of light I mean, music had always been something that I loved, and so obviously we would crank it up at the house or crank it up at the at the bar. Uh, I was actually a bartender there at the same at the same time too. So I was like that cool bartender that everyone wanted to come and hang out with and drink with and. Um, so I, I always liked to try to be, I guess, the center of attention because I was trying to search for stuff, but didn't know what it was. And I thought that was it.
1: Sure. At some point in there, you meet your wife, mm-hmm. you get married.
0: Yeah. We were both bartenders. We were both bartenders. She was a bartender at a, at another local bar, uh, at a town just next door to us. And Is that how you met? We actually, yeah. So um, being at a bar, uh, we had this, this, the, we called her the bar, the bar mom, right? Like she was everybody's mom at the bar. Um, And she knew I was single as a bartender. And she knew that my wife was a single person at her bar. And she would, this bar mom, she hopped between the two bars, right? And um, she said, Hey, I, I have a girl I would love for you to meet. And I'm like, okay, I'm game. You know, uh, who is she? And and she said, well, why don't you come over to this bar at the next town? So uh, it was during what we call a uh, – it was in El Dorado Springs. I'm from Stockton, so it was 20 minutes apart. And uh, when I get there, it was what they call the El Dorado Springs picnic. It's like a carnival kind of thing. Sure. And uh, she was actually off but still at that bar. And um, we got introduced by our bar mom, and of course, at first she um, she just saw me as this little skinny guy, which I'm not so skinny anymore. I'll just add that part in there. Um, but this buck 123 guy that's you know was very questionable. Um, and I asked her if she knew how to dance because at that time when I was in school, I loved to dance. And um, so we went out to the street and 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 I taught her how to two step. Um, but yeah, so, but she was a bar too. So we went, that's how we kind of met was through the bar scene.
1: You guys got married and live happily ever after.
0: Um, no, <laughs> I wish. Uh, yeah. So the, we, we got married probably about a year after, uh, we got pregnant, uh, probably six months after. And, um, um, uh, one thing that the both of us did have in common is we loved both going to the bar. We both loved enjoying um, the drugs. The, the we were, we would smoke a lot. As a matter of fact, her her she would be more into the drugs than even I would be. Um, and she, um, her and her family were all for it. And it was just it was a, when we would have gatherings during holidays. It was just a big I would call a weed fest because that's all we did right. Um, but yeah, I I, I wish I can say it was happily ever after. But for the first um, several years of our marriage, it was it was the worst thing ever. Um, we we the only thing that we would get along with is uh, we didn't go to church. We didn't like church people, and just most of our arguments was dealing with where are we going to do with the kids while we go out, where are we going to get our drugs, and um, financial issues. Um, there, cause there was times whenever I would leave, I, when, when we got together, I was, I was veering into the music industry and starting my career in that as a secular, uh, promoter. And so as I was starting in that, I would be traveling a lot and she would, uh, she would stay home and, and work or take care of the kids or whatnot. But when I would leave town and we didn't have the money, she would actually go out to payday loans and get a loan to go buy her drugs because it was just, and then we would build up all these payday loans, couldn't pay them off, couldn't do any of this stuff. Um, and, and that was a good part of our marriage. The only thing that we got along with was, was those, uh, those topics. Um, and, and that was a good part of our, our marriage.
1: So you you get involved with music Mm -hmm. and what does that look like for you when you start getting involved in music?
0: Well, it was. At that point, it was probably like another avenue of the trying to be the center of attention. Like I described earlier, Um, doing concerts, what it is. I've always loved music and I always knew that there was something different that I would I would kind of be being involved in it, if that makes sense. And so when I first started in the music industry, I started as a uh, just a small town local guy trying to find a good old country bar band, is what I'd call them, and try to book them in local bars. And um, I found one that, uh, which was funny enough, this local band that I knew, they were all Christians, but they loved playing secular country music. And they would always argue with me about, like, hey, if I would tell them, like, if you want to make it to the big leagues, you got you to gotta play these bars, you know, you got to play these four-hour sets and so on and so forth and um they would always they would do it eventually but they didn't like it because they were christians and i knew that but i'm like you're going to have to put that christian stuff to the side because it's not going to work um so i started in the industry as as more of less as a booking manager or or manager artist manager for them and started building up my relationships with these bars that we would play in so much so with the owners they they loved having live entertainment but they wanted more. They wanted more of those national artists. And through those relationships, they actually asked me if I'd be interested in being what we call the inter- an entertainment buyer for those bars. And so we, I, they would hire me as a, as a contractor, so to speak, and I would start working my way into the national realm of using the bar money to book these artists and getting my, my name known as a national country music promoter. And started in bars, working my way up to like coliseums, amphitheaters, um, and and bigger bigger size arenas. Um, and and probably was a did that for ten years as a just always trying to find something. I think I've worked with you know Scotty McCreary. I mean, just so many different country artists out there. Um, but I'd be partying with them too backstage.
1: Yeah. Would you consider what you were doing at that time to be the what you defined as successful, even though you were probably always wanting to work your way to the next level Mm -hmm. at that level, would you look back and say, yeah, I probably thought I was successful.
0: You know, honestly, yeah. Um, it was, it was very rewarding financially, uh, in some cases, um, especially the big sold out shows that we would have at, at a 1500 seat nightclub. Um, it was very easy, Um, it was, and, and what I liked about it, not only was it successful financially in those points too, but I got to drink and a lot of the artists, I, I felt like they were my friends because I'd be invited on their bus and we'd, we'd smoke, we would drink, we would just have fun. Um, but there was always something missing and I never knew what it was. And so I would just try to find it in these other shows and other concerts. And so I would say, yeah, to answer that question, I, it was very successful at that point, what I was feeling.
1: You mentioned earlier that you and your wife, one of the things you agreed on is that, I mean, these are my words, not yours, but mm-hmm. um, Christian people were losers. Mm-hmm.
0: We called them Bible thumpers. We, we, that was the one thing that we would always agree on in our relationship was that we would never, we would never go to church. We 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 always try to avoid when we knew that there was a person walking toward us that was a Christian or religious, is what we would call them, um, because we just called them Bible thumbers, and all they would do is is throw the Bible down our throat, and we didn't want to hear it. We didn't we didn't we didn't need that in our life. We had our own problems. We didn't need that, you know, because we always looked at it as an issue. Um, my wife came from a really bad past in church that that really hurt her. Um, I mean, she was in some really rough relationships that um, were almost cult-like type of religion. And um, when I was little, a little boy, I was actually beaten with a stick by a pastor. And uh, so we didn't have we that was the only thing we agreed on. We did not like church, and we were we were so far away from it, and that's where we wanted to be.
1: You'd hit some some big-time milestones in your career, but you're still living in a small town, and everybody Mm -hmm. knows everybody.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So you couldn't escape the fact that people knew who you were, Mm -hmm. and they knew what you were doing, and they knew what kind of lifestyle you were living. Right. And then somebody challenged you one day.
0: Yeah, so you're living in a small town, and if you live in a small town, you know this. Everybody knows what you do. Everyone is all up in your business. Um, I never really did any of the, the the shows or concerts in the town I lived in. I mean, this town is 1,500 in population, very small town, and that's on a busy summer day. You know, the town doesn't even have a stoplight, right? Um, so um, I get invited one time to uh, go play softball, um, which was at a baseball uh, field right down the street from my house. And um I happen to be in town, no shows, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll go. I I love sports and you know, even though my body doesn't, my mind does and I'm all in, you know. And so we get I get there and um I noticed when I got there that it was a lot of um churchy people, like Christianese people. And I'm like, Oof, I don't know what this is all about and I don't know that I wanna be involved, but I'll hang back and I'll just kind of watch a little bit and as I was watching everyone play, they were being very competitive in a fun way, and I'm like, oh, these guys are actually kind of fun. So I jumped in and started playing. And I knew most of them, you know, and I knew most of them go to this church, and I'm like, okay, you know what, well, I'll get in there, and I'll just kind of put my guard up because, you know, I know how they do that. And midway through the game, here comes this, this pastor who I actually knew and went to school with, and he was actually probably the only— real Christian guy that I knew that I could actually have a normal conversation with and not have to feel like he was trying to throw the Bible down my throat, right? And he would actually be generally interested in my life and shows and asking how it was and not really one time really talk about God in a sense, right? And so he comes and he starts jumping in the game, and he's probably one of the most competitive ones out there, and it was fun and and we we passed each other, and as we passed each other, he kind of elbowed me and said, hey, um, you should bring a concert to, to Stockton. And I said, or I didn't say anything. It kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, wait, what? And then throughout the rest of the game, the rest of the night, I could not let this go, and that was pretty much the end of that conversation. It was very short, very quick, and just it was a passerby kind of conversation. And... um couple days pass and I'm still thinking about this and I'm like I'm thinking this guy doesn't he surely he knows I'm in country music, surely he knows I'm in secular, you know, I don't I don't understand. And I actually ran into him at the um at the local coffee shop a few days later and uh walked up to him and his name is Pastor Bo and I said, Hey Pastor Bo, how are you? And 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 he said, Great. And he goes, Hey, have you have you thought about what um what I mentioned to you at the, at the baseball game, I'm like, you know, that's all I've been thinking about. And I said, you know that this town couldn't support what I do. And he goes, yeah, you're probably right. And I said, and you do know him in secular music. Like I do country music, right? Like he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, that's great. I said, do you remember what you asked me? He goes, yeah. Have you thought about it be bringing a concert to stock? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it'll work. And, And he goes, yeah, you're probably right. He goes, but how do you do it in the secular world? And I would say, well, in short, I would find a venue, find an artist, put tickets on sale, and hopefully make money. And he goes, okay, well, what if I have a venue? And and I'm like, I've lived here my whole life. There's nowhere here to do a concert. And I said, plus, it's, uh, it's secular. Like, are you wanting to do a country concert? And he goes, no, what about a Christian concert? And I just kind of laughed at him, and I'm like, "Yeah, there's, there's, I'm not interested. There's no money in it, which there still isn't, and there's just, <laughs> there, this just not going to work. It's not my thing." And I said, "To top it all off, there's still nowhere to do it." He goes, "Well, what if I told you I have a venue, and what if I can help you do it?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't think." And I said, "Well, what's the venue? Because I've lived here my whole life." And he goes. My church, and I said, oh, "Wait a minute! <laughs> it's like that is a definite no." I As I am definitely, not. I said, "If I even step foot in your church, it will probably catch fire." And he he chuckled and laughed, and I said, "Plus, I don't know any Christian artists." I said, "I'm I'm I'm just that's just not my thing." He goes, "Well, I know a bunch of Christian artists." I'm like, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah." And he goes, "He goes, well, how about this? Let me make a deal with you." I'm like, "All right." He goes, "What if I?" Let you have my church. He goes, don't even think of it as a church. I want you to think of it as a venue, and um, and then I'll help you find a Christian artist, and I'll help you get it all going, and you can keep a hundred percent of the ticket sales. Well, I'm like, wait. As a promoter, I'm thinking, wait, this could be something good. I'm not risking anything, or or I have an opportunity to make money here. And I looked at him. I said. Here's the only caveat to 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 this scenario is um, if I do this, I'm going to do it completely as a joke. It's 100% as a joke. I'm not going to put very little effort in it. And and um, yeah, and he, he looked at me dead in the eyes and says, it's a deal. Let's do it. I was not expecting that because I told, I mean, a, for a pastor to let a guy like me who has a background like I had, to come into his church and take charge of it. He's like, don't even think of my church as a church. You have to think of it as a venue. As a matter of fact, he told me, I remember, he goes, if you need to tear down a wall to make something happen, we'll tear down the wall. And I can remember at one point when the show was happening, we were setting up, we almost had to put a hole in his wall to run power out to a generator because the church didn't have enough power to power this concert that we were doing. And... uh but we didn't. We we figured out an alternate route to to get to that generator. But um he was all game. He's like, Yeah, you want to put a hole? Let's do it. And I'm like, This guy is like for real. So um I'm doing this concert, very little effort. I'm doing it as a joke, right? Like, as a matter of fact, we try my wife and I being there, we we try to keep our distance. As a matter of fact, we were outside in the parking lot when most of the concert was going on and doing what we would normally so, do. At-
1: wait, people showed up?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was actually much to your surprise. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it it was probably one of the smallest shows I've ever done compared to what I had been doing in the secular world, but there was 103 people there in this church that fits about 250. So it was like crazy packed in there and it was just amazing. I'm like, this is, and I knew most of these people, like they're from my hometown. Right. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to go in there, so we, my wife and I, we do our thing. We were out in the parking lot, we were smoking, doing our thing while this show's going on. Well, the music stops, and you know, you know how you could hear the music from inside the building. You can't make it out, but you can hear the, you know, whatever, and um, and it stops for the longest time. And I'm thinking, oh no, I'm not about to go in there, you know, because normally when music stops, there's something wrong, right? And I'm like, I'm not going in. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here. My back's toward the building. I'm looking at my wife and and um as I'm processing and listening and having our conversation, I hear someone say, Hey John, come inside. And I looked at my wife and I said, Who just hollered at me to come inside? And she looked over my shoulder at the building and she's like, Um, nobody. And I'm like, No, somebody just hollered for me to come inside and she's like, No, nobody hollered for you. Lay off the pipe, you know? And I'm like, no. So I put everything down and I went inside. And when I went inside, the reason why I didn't hear anyone talking or any, any music going because the lead singer of this band, he was actually talking. He was sharing a story of some kind. And I'm in the back and I'm listening. And as I'm listening, this guy, he's, he's talking about drugs and alcohol. And honestly, Stephanie, at first I, I thought this guy was telling everyone about me. I was, I was starting to get red in the face and very angry because this guy who does not know me somehow knows everything about me because he's telling everyone in my own hometown that I'm a drug dealer and I drink a lot and all this stuff. Cause I th- all
1: the things that you'd been doing.
0: All the things that I had been doing, he's saying this stuff. And as I'm sitting here listening and being angry because, one, there's no music. I don't want preaching. That's not what I wanted to do. And, and even though I was doing this as a joke, I still wanted what I was paying for. You know what I'm saying? And then he gets to a point where he says, but at one point, I I wanted to end it all. And then I'm like, wait, he's not talking about me. He was talking about himself. And he said that at one point, I wanted to end it all. I had been searching for something, searching for something, and I couldn't find it in the bottom of a bottle or at uh, the bottom of a, a pipe or whatever it was. So he wanted to end it all, and he tried to commit suicide. And he goes, but then in the back of an ambulance, after trying to commit suicide, I met this man. And I'm like, what? And I'm listening. I'm still a little angry because I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. I have no control over this show. I'm the promoter. I'm supposed to have control over this thing, and nothing and I'm sitting here listening to preaching, and that's not what I wanted. I wanted music. I wanted a concert. And he says, he goes, I met this man, this man in the back of my ambulance who freed me from everything. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? And I'm just, just trying to process this, right? And he freed, And he said he freed me from all my addictions. He freed me, and I just, I totally surrendered to him. And he goes, that thing that I've been searching for, I finally found it. And that caught my attention. And I'm like, wait, who is this guy? I need to, because I, I, deep down inside, I wanted something more, but I didn't know what it was. And, but I also had my promoter hat on. I had to play my car, I couldn't engage. You know what I'm saying? And then he said, I want to see in the show, in, uh, show of hands in this room if you want to meet this man. And this man's name is Jesus. And at that moment, I remember 23 kids raised their hand and I had so many mixed emotions going on that I can't even I can't even really explain to you today I just remember it like it was yesterday that I'm in the back of this room and I am so confused but I yet I wanted what he was talking about but I didn't know what to do because I didn't I didn't want to let go my promoter hat you know that proudfulness thing I didn't want to let it go but man I wanted to figure out what he was talking about and I saw the twenty three kids raise their hand, and I lost it. I'm just like it was just this this. I'm not a crier, but I just started like tearing up, and it started to turn into the more of the ugly cry, you know, the snot and everything, and trying to process all this. And as I'm processing and like what I want it, but I don't. It was a battle inside of me. And about that time, I see Pastor Bo walking back toward me. And the back of the room where I was at, he puts his arm around me. And he says, and he points, and he goes, look what you did. And I'm like, I have no idea what just happened. He said, do you want me to explain it to you? I said, please, because I, I have no idea. And he explained it to me. And that night, I fully surrendered to Christ. And I can firmly say to you today, standing in this room, that that moment I had that encounter and I fully surrendered, I've never had an addiction, never even craved anything. Everything completely fell off of me. And that night I go home and I had this dream that it was time that I needed to do something in this career of music um, that I was in to offer an experience like I just had to other people. And that was to start what we call, and what most of us know now, a ministry called Light the Way. Actually, it was called Light the Lake at that time. And I wanted to do a music festival to reach people that were just like me who would never step foot in church and who would never do anything Christianese, but yet go to a concert. And so... I got this dream and launched this ministry six years ago.
1: You left your—I want to back up just a little bit. You left your wife in the parking lot. Yeah, she was still— Smoking the drugs. Yeah. You go in the building. Yeah. The venue, mm-hmm. quote, unquote. hmm And Jesus delivers you from everything that you'd ever know. hmm How do you explain to her— That you walked away from her in the parking lot, and then the next time she saw you, you're a different man.
0: Yeah, so that was interesting. It was a series of days and weeks, and uh, and she actually didn't even come to Christ until a year and a half later. But I, I can't remember the conversation or what it was like. All I can remember her saying to me, it wasn't that moment that I had to explain to her what happened because I didn't even know myself, right? It was the moment the next day from waking up from this dream that I had to tell her, I'm no longer doing Christian mu- or uh, country music, secular music. Not to say that there's something wrong with it. I just, I didn't want to do that no more. That I wanted to do Christian and I want to be a Christian con- promoter. And I think her. Words were somewhat in this fashion. Well, I don't care what you do as long as we still have food on the table. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I took that as a yes, you know. Um, and, and so it was a very tough conversation. She didn't understand it, but I can tell you that she now says to me that you know she saw a difference in me, um, didn't know what it was, couldn't understand it, um, until. I invite her to an actual family retreat that happened in Branson where she actually gave her life, which was actually after our first-year festivals because we we launched our first-year festival in 2017 in Stockton, which was a beautiful thing. It was a one-day, first time ever doing a music festival in my whole career. Uh, and, and to back up a little bit, I always wanted to be – I wanted to always do a music festival. And I tried to do it in the country world. And every door I'd try to walk in, it just slammed on my face. And it just never picked up. And the moment I surrendered and said, I want to do a Christian music festival, it's like everything played out right. And we did our first year music festival in 2017 in Stockton, had over 10,000 people show up in this little bitty town.
1: A town of 1,500 people.
0: A town of 1,500 people where... Hundreds of lives were changed that first year, um, including mine. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. I'm still trying to process everything, you know. And I don't didn't even know any of the artists that were coming and performing. It just, it was just like this is amazing. Is that moment that when I said earlier that I was looking for something, I was trying to feel something, I couldn't figure out what it was. I knew what it was then, and it took that first year festival to realize that. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm called to do. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, and here we are. Fast forward to today. You know, we do the one-day festival in 2017. We freak out. Town 1,500 people, over 10,000 people show up. I, mean, I remember the, the mayor of the town was like, and the city administrator was just like, we can't do this many people at once. So we decided the second year to do it multiple day, and I think we had over 23,000 people show up. Um, and then I can literally couldn't do it there no more. I, all of a sudden felt I had a massive draw to come down here, but didn't know anyone. I, I only knew you and, and your colleagues. Yeah. And that was it. You know, I didn't know anyone else and didn't know what any of this meant, but I knew I had to come down here and it was scary because I knew that it was the end of that season of, what was called light the lake at that time. And I didn't know how to even explain it to to you and your colleagues when I came down here to share it.
1: And the beautiful thing was that you didn't have to, because we had already had conversations internally and conversations with the Lord that it's time to move this. Right. It's time for the next season. So when you walk in and you're like, I don't know how to tell you guys this. Well, let us talk first. And you're like, Oh my goodness, that's exactly what needs to happen. Right. Um, And we were able to connect you with, a very godly man that seemed mm. to have exactly what you needed for the next season.
0: Well, and, and there's more to that story, too. You connected me with a very godly man in the community that had um, actually ended up being adopted as my spiritual father. Um, and who's, at, who's still to this day is, I, I'm under his wing and, and and has been a part since we moved down here. So there's been a deeper relationship than just the transactional relationship there for, for me personally and, and for the, into the festival as well.
1: When you switch, make that almost immediate switch from secular to Christian, mm-hmm. when your life changes and you surrender everything to the Lord, a lot of times people get an idea that, oh, once I become a Christian, everything will be uh, it'll be so easy. It will be so simple. And God has worked some miraculous things out mm. in the ministry <laughs> that you oversee. Yeah. it's not just a concert promotion gig anymore. right. Um, but how have you navigated the tough situations where you're like, I don't god this doesn't make any sense. I don't know how this is going to work. Have you ever been like, why did you put me here? I'm not ready for this. Mm.
0: Every day. Every day I ask that question to God because you know, the the festival in the ministry, you know, we're mostly known for our festival, but we are a ministry as well. Um it comes with a theme that the Lord puts on my heart, you know, and the first year it which actually is our foundation was themed around taking church outside the walls. We created that as as the foundation, the permanent foundation of the ministry, because my heart is I wanted to have people to have that same exact opportunity that I had at a concert. Um, so the only way I can do that is to reach those people that would not step foot in church. So that's where Take Church Outside the Walls come from, right? So that was kind of like our first-year theme. Uh, the following year was healing. The Lord placed on my heart that we wanted to do healing, and you guys were there. Remember, we set aside two hours of a healing service in the middle of a festival where I don't know how many people received healing, whether it was physical, mental, or spiritual. It was God moved, right? And um, then year 19, we had Kerry job. It was a year of worship, you know, and then we had to skip the year because COVID, and then coming back, we did the year of revival, and and then now this year, Jubilee, I say all that because every theme that is that is planted in my heart, it seems like God takes me through something, right? And I don't understand it. I don't. I, I ask why, why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? I question it every day till this day. I still question. Why do you have me do this? You know, because there's a lot of things that don't make sense. There's a lot of trials that I go through on a daily basis. Uh, to to see this ministry happen. Um, so, in short, to answer your question, yeah, I ask God every single day, to this day too, why why am I here? Why do you have me doing this? And the only thing that I keep hearing back from Him is is the response, "You're the one that said yes." And I'm like, okay, I'm scared not to say yes, right? Actually. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um and and I can tell you countless stories of of just different things that um that I go through that's growing me i I hope spiritually um but it it is it's so much more than a music festival. It is so much more than a music festival. Um, my new high is not the drug or the alcohol. It's seeing those people being baptized because we do on-the-spot baptisms at these events, Um, it's seeing the life-changing families come together, relationships restored, you know. um, My relationship, mine and my wife's relationship being restored, a year and a half of literally light and dark in our house. Um, In the moment that she surrendered to Christ, we became one. But there was a bigger story there because, um, this is totally off script, but, um, we were going into year two of our festival and I think it was three years, two or three years prior to that year, I was unfaithful in my marriage at a concert, a secular concert. And I never told my wife, Never. And it had been two or three years, and I just I was going to take it to my grave. And year two was the theme of healing, and there needed to be some healing done in me. Um, I got really sick, was diagnosed with um a, a, a chronic or not a chronic, but a um like like a, a brain vertigo type thing where uh, I was I, w- I would wake up. And dizzy for three—it was it was two months straight of just straight dizziness and sickness. I, I mean, I had to go to special therapy and all this stuff. And I'm asking God, it's like, how can I have a platform for you to move in healing whenever I'm sick myself? And it was through, through time and prayer I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? Why is this not moving? And the Lord brought back that sin that I had committed— And never told my wife. He goes, if you want me to move in you so that I can move through the festival, you need to take the lid off and you need to tell your wife. That was the hardest day of my life when I had to tell my wife that I was unfaithful to her. And this was six months before the year two of our festival. And I thought we were done. I'm like, how am I going to be this new Christian promoter and now have a divorce on my hands, you know. I didn't know. I didn't know what that was going to look like, and I was scared. And I remember I came home, and the other part, too, I was scared that by me telling her she was going to lose her salvation and fall back into drugs and alcohol, too, you know. And so I was so scared for that. I I was ready to face my consequences, whatever that looked like. But I was scared for her. I did not want her to fall back into that trap because she was, she had only been saved six months at this point. And I remember she came home, and I said, we need to talk. And I told her. And it was not a good night. It, I mean, we, ha- I, we had to call our pa- Pastor Bo and, and his wife and come over, and she left, Beth left. She left for, I think, two or three hours. I can't even remember. Um and I can remember on my knees in the front room just praying to God, please keep her, protect her, don't let her slip away. Don't let her go back to that bar. don't I, and I said, God, I'm ready to take my punishment. I was ready to, I was ready. Whatever that was, I was ready for it. I was owning up to my mistake. I just didn't want her to lose her salvation. Three hours later she comes home. And she opens up the front door, and I'm just kind of coming up from the floor because I heard her come in, and she goes, let's come outside and talk. And we go outside and talk, and she goes, I've been driving around, and I've been thinking and praying. And I'm like, ooh, you were praying. I wasn't expecting that response. And she said, you don't know how many times I drove by the bar and I wanted to stop. She goes, I can't even count how many times I wanted to stop, but I never could stop. I, my car literally won't turn in that parking lot. So I just kept going. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, and through praying and just trying to figure out everything in process, all she could hear is what God, what she felt like God was telling her. And I'm like, what is that? Because I'm scared. I'm thinking, okay, here, we're going to end this, right? And she, um, she just said, uh, I'm supposed to tell you that the devil is not going to take our marriage. And she goes, I just want to let you know that I forgive you. And we're going to get through this together. I lost it. But it it was a healing moment for our marriage. It was such a healing moment. And I remember that um, I I was completely physically healed at that moment. In my heart, I was healed. Forgiveness was flowing through. And I think I would say now that our marriage is probably the strongest it's ever been. And we're just, we're doing this thing called life together. And uh, we're watching God grow through it.
1: Light the Way has gone from a festival in a small town of 1,500 people to festivals, not just one here in southwest Missouri, but you're looking at multiple cities outside of Tulsa, Mm -hmm. outside of Memphis. Outside of Dallas, Mm -hmm. there are a lot more than 1,500 people there. Yeah, And people may be like, why are you so hung up on the numbers? And I know you well enough, John, to know that each one of those numbers is a person. Soul. Someone that very well may need an invitation to come to a music festival Mm. and experience something they've never experienced before. We are going to have the link to all things Light the Way in the show notes. Hmm. You can find out if they're going to be near you anytime soon. You can see more about past festivals and kind of what it looks like and learn more about you yourself um, and your team at Light the which is a small but very mighty team, <laughs> let me just say. John, thank you so hmm. much for sharing your story from your heart What you share is very raw. You can tell that you have walked through that and not long ago that you haven't forgotten Mm. what God has done in your life. Before we end this, I would like to ask you to pray over those that are listening that may be the person that you were Mm. or may have someone in their family or their circle of friends that they have been praying for Mm. that would have the kind of miraculous life change that you and your wife have experienced. Would you do that for us?
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm honored to. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you, and first we just give you the the honor and the glory for your mercy and your grace that you offer to us, even though we, I don't think any of us fully understand what that truly is. And Lord, I just thank you for what you've done personally in my life, and how you've changed me. And, and I know that that's part of your heart for others. And Lord, I know that there may be some listening today that, that are struggling themselves, whether this Christianity thing is real or if you're real. And Lord, so I just pray right now for those people that have that question, that you reveal yourself to them wholeheartedly. That there is no doubt that you are real and father i want to lift up family members and people who know others that um that need to know you but yet have not gotten the opportunity to share who you are and 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 even maybe even scared lord i pray for boldness for these family members to reach those ones um, invite them to an event. Invite them to church. Invite them to a concert where you where your name is being lifted up high, so that those opportunities for your Holy Spirit to move through them will happen. And Lord, I thank you again for the many lives that will be changed from this podcast and 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 what Stephanie is doing here. Lord, I pray and thank you for all the opportunities that you're giving us through our ministry at Light the Way and beyond. We ask all this in your precious name, amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of This Story Matters. Check out the show notes below. We have some different links and some resources available to you related to the topic we covered in this episode. And then be sure to follow and download for more of This Story Matters. If you need prayer, we invite you to call or text our prayer line. It's available 24-7-365, any time you could possibly need it, 877 877 We would love to hear the story God has written in your life. Email us with your story at at wind.radio.